I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's popping, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Celtics Pod podcast with me, your boy, Adam Taylor. As usual, I'm joined by my host, my compadres, my co-hosts in crime, Mr. Will Weir and Mr. Greg Manakis. What's popping, y'all? Yo, what's going on? I, I heard you say, I heard you say, homie, and then compadres. So it's only one of us your homie. Like, what's no, so what happened was <laughs> I flew into a very specific intro, and I didn't catch on to the word I was using until I'd said one. And I was like, no, it needs to be plural, and I'm not going to start <laughs> yeah, the recording yeah. again because I missed an S. Is it? I was, I was, I was going to say, is this because I, I didn't save your number for that entire year? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to. We know who the real homies away. are here. The screenshots yeah. tell all. They don't lie. I mean, an entire year, bro. I mean, I, I kind of like, <laughs> like, you know, I feel like was you sending me a message. I'm just sending one back. Nah, it's just, uh, you know, I flow into these intros. And you know what it's like, man. You get into a groove, you, you homie, co compadre, co-hosting crime. I have to uh, remember. I, I do it every week on our show over. I agree with them. So I get it, Adam. There's times where you're just, you're just in a rhythm or sometimes you just start speaking and you don't actually know where you're. It's a Michael Scott thing, right? I just start a sentence and I don't always know where I'm going to finish it. And you just got to keep going until you eventually get to your destination. Yeah. So what it's like, someone's it's like, it's an autoplay button. Right. And so I've pressed it mentally and then I have to like quickly unpress it and then verbally do it properly. So I'm like, man, I apologize. Homies, compadres, co-hosts in crime. There we go. There we go. Now look, man, I feel like everybody listening is going to be on cloud nine. Not because there was a Celtics win. I mean, that's nice. Well, because there was Celtics basketball, I think that's more nice. That's nicer. It's better. It's co-hosts, compadres type of level of good, right? Because the free man weave right here. Before we get into our takes, our analysis, our opinionated excitement, we're doing you a disservice if we don't let Mr. Will Weir bring you the morning box score. Take it away, Will. Let's do it. Love these crossover episodes here between Green with Envy and Celtics blog pods. Let's get it going. Basketball is back, folks. 134-93, to the Celtics win their first preseason home game of the year against the Charlotte Hornets. Usually, we start with some stats from the opposing team. I don't think the Charlotte Hornets would be very great this year. We'll talk more about that. We're just going to go ahead and skip that. It's the preseason. We don't need to do that to ourselves. Let's get right into the Celtics. Jalen Brown, 8 of 11 from the field, 24 points for him on the night. Jason Tatum had 16 points uh, to go along with three assists and six rebounds. Big star of the night, Malcolm Brogdon. We're going to talk a lot about him. 11 points, 9 assists, 5 rebounds, filling up the stat sheet. And my guy, Shotgun Sam, 14 points, 5 of 6 from the field, 4 of 5 from 3. Just an absolute beatdown from the Celtics here. A couple of team stats. Uh, Celtics, not great in the turnover department, 23. But when you win the assist battle by nearly 30 repeat almost 30 41 to 13 that's not necessarily going to make that big of a difference and the Celtics shot the ball 46.8 percent clip from three-point land boys it feels good to have some basketball back in our lives and the team talked about all training camp well this first week of training camp feeling like they picked up right where they left off at the end of the season and it definitely looked like that today I mean, it definitely did because Brown came out hot and Tatum struggled. So it was definitely exactly where they left after the end of the season, right? 
like it's preseason, man. Like you can forgive anybody for having a rough night. It's your first competitive game since the finals. Yeah, I mean you can simulate what you want in practice. It's different when there's another team coming at you. Tatum for me, you know, two of eight from deep, twenty five percent. Got to the line a few times. Turnovers five. I think he led the team in turnovers actually. But overall, like you know, he he. I feel like the whole team was adjusting to playing on a different gear offensively. Like they were running, dude. Like running, running. Like Mimi, they were going quick. <laughs> like uh, so, I think Taysom's definitely going to be one of the guys to struggle with that early because he's being asked to be the decision maker, right? So now we're really going to test his processing speed. How quick can you spot those passes and get those passes off before the ball gets pilfered? Uh, but I think he was solid, man. I think for what you saw and what he was being asked to do. Joe Mazzula's going to be having us all on the edge of our seats if this is how they're running offense. He's going to be Mazzula la. <laughs> that, was, that was a lot of fun just watching that game. Will and I actually watched the first half together over at his spot. Um, so it was nice to just kind of be back in that groove, uh, watching basketball, talking basketball, football, taking, you know, backseat to basketball as it should be. And um, Malcolm Brogdon was the guy that really stood out to me. You talked about the speed at which they were playing and the processing speed. Well, Brogdon's willingness to push the ball, um, to look cross court in transition opportunities, whipping the ball, you know, from half court all the way to the corner, getting guys open, um, seeing the pass a split second early, which is basically a skill that I don't think anybody else on the team really has maybe or an instinct. I think that's, a, you know, that's a skill you can develop, but he has that instinct. And Brogdon was just a lot of fun. And Will and I um, were actually talking about this at his house. He was like, when was the last time we had someone that kind of just played with this level of IQ and this willingness to pass? And the best answer we could come up with was Rondo, which just speaks to how many shoot first, score first point guards the Celtics have had over the past decade since Rondo left. Yeah, it was it was interesting because I really didn't think we'd have to go back that far, but we couldn't think of a guy. And, and it was you talked about it, Adam. They were they were going. The way that they were moving with that offense, it was get the ball and go. And it was it was very noticeable how many guys they have that can do that, you know, from all the way down, starting, you know, from Al all the way up to Marcus, Derek, even Peyton Pritchard. You can just whoever gets that ball, you're ready to move. And so I think that's going to be an interesting development to watch over this preseason, over the beginning of the season to see how much that that becomes a staple of what they're trying to do on offense. And I thought it was interesting. Crazy Joe Missoula. I feel like we need to get a little crazy Joe Davola going in here, a little crazy Joe Missoula. I love that. I think Adam last time, and I talked about it with you as well, Greg, we were like, is it going to be Malcolm starting? Is it going to be Grant starting? And I think one of the early ways Joe Missoula really made kind of a, a stamp or put his mark on, on this game was number one, starting Derek White instead of going with the Brogdon or the Grant Williams route. And then some of the lineup choices he made during the game were, were pretty interesting as well. Adam, what did you make of, um, you know, Missoula going with Derek White to start the game over everything else that, you know, the, the, what we had assumed would be the choice between Brogdon and Grant Williams. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I like it in terms of decision-making. Like, you want Marcus Smart to have the ball because when... And this was one of my biggest concerns, right? If you ask Marcus Smart to come back off the bench, if you run like a Brogdon, Derek White, or whatever, or you minimize Smart's role in facilitating the offense, that's when you run into problems of Marcus Smart being Marcus Smart, right? If you put the ball in his hand and allow him to be that that facilitator, that, that play creator, then you're getting the best version of Marcus Smart. So the best way to do that is put an exceptional off-ball guard next to him and 
He might not be the scorer, the shooter that you want him to be, but Derek White is an exceptional off-ball guy. He's a fantastic screener, cutter. does a lot, always makes the right moves, the right passes. So it made a ton of sense, right? Like, don't get me wrong, Brogdon is clearly the better player between the two of them. But Brogdon came into this team sold on a six-man position. And I think that Brogdon has accepted that. And I think the team will want to honor that discussion because that's going to be one of the best ways to preserve his body throughout the season. I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I'm like, man, I wasn't expecting Derek White to be a prevalent rotation piece this year. Like, I was like, he was going to play every game, but I wasn't expecting him to play big minutes every game. And now I'm kind of like, I actually like this way, the way this looks. You've got all five guys in that starting five can pass, dribble, they can score on the inside. All five of them are willing to shoot the three. Probably White's probably the the weakest three-point shooter there, but we've all seen the footage of him working not to get that lean in his body. I'm down, dude. Like that's a that's such a, a diverse lineup and multi-skilled switchable on both sides of the floor lineup. I, I'm down. Can I also just say center ta- point center Jason Tatum? is now a thing and i am living on a high right now because that's just some what that's that's mazula la right there <laughs> crazy I'm, Joe. That, i need that crazy need that yeah. no i i feel i feel that big time because you know with Ime, we didn't see a ton of experimentation once he found something that he felt like worked especially you know halfway through the season when the celtics were really struggling and needed to play consistent ball he just stuck with it and we were playing an eight-man rotation uh, for pretty much the second half of the year all the way through the finals and then just the willingness to experiment in this first game was just a lot of fun to see out of Missoula um, you know like you said that small lineup that they went with we we weren't really sure what to call it because yeah, I was gonna say, we, we got to come up with a name for for it, it, it well especially if it comes up again because that was that was definitely something you sat up Greg you said we were watching the game together and that made you kind of like jump out of your seat when you saw that it yeah. was JBJT in the three guard lineup that that Missoula ran out there. Yeah, I thought I thought that was just really interesting to see him try it. He didn't stay with it long. I think JB was a little bit tired. He expended so much energy in the first half. He took him out pretty quickly. Um, and we were kind of getting punished by Plumley. <laughs> also, <laughs> Plumley, by the way, the left handed free throws. What, what were you guys' thoughts on the left handed free throws? It's not the prettiest shot in the world. It's what you attempt at the fair when you're just trying to win that that teddy bear, right? Like, I, I, man, I was, the right one's not falling. Let me just switch it up, see if I can get it. I was trying to think of it's the equivalent to me of if you ever go bowling and just nothing's working, so you decide to go granny style. Like it, it's yeah. some form of that equivalent for the free throw line, but I, I I don't know exactly what it is. But I like that I like that fair comparison. Yeah, but then I, another thing that I really liked about a Missoula's rotations. Early on in the game, he kept Jalen and Jason on the court for the first nine minutes. The first sub that he made was Tatum out at the three-minute mark between the two of them, which is very different from how Ime and Brad used to take Tatum out, right? They took Tatum out at that seven- or six-minute mark, which he did in the second half. Um, But in the first half, it was just cool to see the two of them on the court together for more of an extended period of time, which brings us back to Brogdon, because if Brogdon is going to be entrusted to run that second unit and, and just like have the ball in his hands, you don't have to force JB at the, you know, at the primary playmaker position with the second unit or JT coming in after sitting for three or four minutes uh, at the six minute mark with Brogdon there that allows more minutes where you can have the Jays both on the court together. Now, obviously this is just a preseason game. We don't know if that is going to be the theory moving forward, but for one game, it was just interesting to see because we almost never saw that out of Ime or Brad really. 
So to keep those two stars on the court together by having Brogdon, who can be a number one on his own, that was something that really stood out to me. Yeah, and you think about, you know, just how much that that opens it up for this team. And and on that second unit, you know, I think a guy that stood out was Sam Hauser, right? Just having him out there with Brogdon. Brogdon, like you said, Greg, you know, he's been the one and certainly against second units for, you know, five, six minute stretches, whatever it might be, you know, he can go back to being that 20 point per game scorer or that facilitator where he's playing with guys like Sam Hauser and Peyton Pritchard, who are going to stretch the floor for him out there to either have driving lanes or to have kickouts and Grant Williams out there as well. You get potentially three pretty elite, you know, shot makers out there that open up a lot of potential for that offense to sustain itself without having you know, the Jays out there exerting themselves. And then when they come back in, like you said, Greg, they're playing together, which we know how, you know, how much pressure that puts on a team when they have both of them out there. So if if Malcolm Brogdon allows you to be able to get more time with the Jays together, that's a pretty big development. And, you know, with that, I want to go back to Sam Hauser for a minute. I was really excited all last year for Ime to, you know, he said it wasn't really much of, of, of an experimenter, but to give Sam a little bit of a shot today, he looked fantastic. You know, and he obviously the knocking down the threes was huge, but, you know, I thought him making some of the right cuts, having that nice little alley-oop to Cabangele, like he, he made some other plays outside of just knocking down those shots that, you know, from this first preseason game, you know, we're going to, we're going to overreact a little bit. We're going to make some, you know, off the cuff predictions, but, but him getting some sustainable and consistent minutes, uh, it, it left me feeling pretty promising about that for him. Adam, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say real quick, Will, when we were watching the game together, I mentioned the fact that you and Will both had been pronouncing the name Cabin Jelly and the name is Cabin Gelly. And Will made the comment. He said, I'll pronounce his name correctly when he makes the roster. You just pronounce his name correctly right now, Will. Does that mean that you think Cabin Gelly is going to be on the roster? I mean, do you point? see his second half? I mean, he's got the two way contract and, and, you know, where the Celtics have a shortage of bigs. You know, when I look at the game today. And I think of aside from the main guys that we know are going to be in the rotation playing healthy minutes, you know, him and Hauser probably stood out the most to me of guys I wasn't really sure what to expect. Now, I mean, Kevin Gelly with him, a lot of it's just kind of that energy that he brought, you know, in that in that second half. But, you know, as someone that can give you some minutes, you know, maybe that is my prediction that Kevin Gelly is going to be here for you know, at least the beginning of the season could be a guy to give you some solid minutes off the bench. And he can play like, you know, I'm not expecting them to convert that two way anytime soon. I think it was yeah. a solid performance, but you're going to get games from him. The, I, the question is, do you really need him when the playoffs roll around? If the answer is no, then having him on that two way is the best in terms of value, like return on investment, yeah. right? Because the two ways. Can... And then um, the other option is like, uh, what was I going to say before that? Yes, yeah, so Sam Hauser, just coming back to Hauser for a moment. One thing I really liked about him being on the floor was everybody was encouraging him on defense. You could hear the bench like really getting behind him, as, like trying to champion him into staying in front of his man, absorbing the contact. Because that was what the Imaudoka had set for him, right? Like you need to improve defensively if you want a spot on this team. Now we don't know that Joe Mazzula is going to feel that same way. He might just see the value in having a knockdown three point shooter sitting in the corner. And then Grant Williams, who was exceptional in that game, by the way, to take the other corner because then you're really stretching the, the team, the defense out across the baseline. And then if you've got someone, if you do have JB, JT, and Brogdon or Smart, White, and whoever, all of a sudden you've just got three guys that can attack that space, both in front of it, behind it, from the wings, and you've got you've got driving kick options everywhere. 
so that was one other thing I really liked about Hauser. I just felt like the team were really encouraging him. They were getting behind him. So maybe there is, has been other conversations about him improving his defense. He was good. He was real, real yeah. good. It's just like a, you know, as a release valve, as I like to call them, just when the defense collapses. Oh, how's that? Bang, shoot the free for me. Bro. I mean, he's the he's the Celtics answer to Duncan Robinson, Max Struess. You know, just having that guy in your back pocket that doesn't, you know, he's, he's on, you know, obviously he's on a very cheap contract, doesn't have to play a ton of minutes every game, but when he's out there, he's going to put pressure, you know, on the opposing team. And just real quick to your Grant Williams point, he had four assists. He didn't play. He only played just under 14 minutes in this game. Had four assists. I mean, it's pretty rare. We don't see many games where Grant Williams is out there getting, you know, four or five assists in a game. So that was another. I mean, there's a lot of positives to take away from this game when you win by almost 50. Yeah, I mean, with Grant, you know, <laughs> Grant at the end at the end of last season, Grant really started to try to deck the ball a little bit more, especially as guys started running him off the three point line. But clearly, he didn't have the game reps or the practice reps to really know what the reads were and to play with patience. You mentioned, Adam, that guys were really vocal from the bench for Hauser. I actually noticed that a lot for Grant on the offensive end. And I'm pretty sure the voice that I heard coming from the bench for the most part was Marcus's voice. His voice was really cutting through on the on the television broadcast. And there were a couple of times where Grant caught the ball and you could tell he, the initial decision or the initial read, he didn't make it in time. And you could hear Marcus from the bench just saying, patient, patient, like take your time. And then Grant, you know, got into his bag, called for a pick and roll a couple of times, used a ball screen a few times. And then he had he had an alley-oop as well, you know. So I think with Grant Williams in a one-game sample size in the preseason, this just shows me that he's been working on his game because he realized at the end of the season there was a limit to what being just a standstill three-point shooter can be. You know, and in the he got exposed in as the playoffs went deeper and deeper, and, and teams could game plan for him just sitting out in the three point uh, three point territory. They could just close out on him hard, and he couldn't really do anything off of that. And they were like, Grant Williams probably going to turn the ball over, make a bad decision if he decks the ball. So after one game, we can see that Grant, you know, is self aware, which is important because I think some people might look at Grant and just hear his comments in the media <laughs> and be like, is this dude actually self-aware? But he seemed to be after the first game. Same thing with Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown um, definitely looked a lot more composed on the offensive end. Um, Jason Tatum, again, looked like he was stronger going to the basket. Uh, Scal mentioned it early in the broadcast. He said Tatum, you know, got through a body really quickly. I think Oubre tried to body him up on the perimeter and, and Tatum put his shoulder down, got to the basket. There was that nice uh, drive and one Tatum had in the second half. Same thing. He saw the lane, shot the gap, and just like drove the ball hard. And one thing that I saw out of him, you know how last he 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 always goes with that extended pickup when he's in traffic. So extended pickup is when is when you dribble the ball and you keep it low and kind of raise it high. That James Harden move that he always does. And Tatum had a little bit of an adjustment to that extended pickup. He didn't quite have the ball like by his ankles. He still had it out out um, away from his body, but much more like waist high, which I thought was interesting on that one play. Because for the most part, I felt like Tatum kind of got off balance on his drives last year. So a lot of guys seemingly in the lab all summer working on their weaknesses. So one thing with Grant was, and I'll come back to Tatum in a moment, with Grant, he spoke to, so Jackson Simone, who's part of Celtics blog as well, had a chat with Grant over the summer. And the biggest thing Grant was working on was his floater game and touch finishes. One of the best baskets he made of the game, in my opinion, outside of the, obviously, the, the good for shooting freeze, was he attacked the closeout and then finished with a floater. And that goes to exactly what you're saying, right? The self-awareness to know that if someone closes out hard, 
you need some form of interior scoring bag that you can go to to try and punish those closeouts and make people think twice about getting up on you. Because if you put the ball on the floor and got that floater game, more often than not, you're going to be able to punish those closeouts. With Tatum's dribbling, I, I, I agree. I think there was times where he looked a little bit more secure with the ball. But I also think that he's still playing a bit too quick for his own dribble sometimes, if that makes sense. Like, he, his mind's moving faster than what his dribble's moving. And again, as I said at the top of the show, I think that part of that could just be you're playing at a different gear. You're playing at a higher pace. and, and you I mean, know, I mean you talked the... about it. The, the whole team was playing at a different pace today, right? Exactly. Like, the, the ball was popping around. You know, regardless of just pushing the ball up, even in their half-court offense, you saw the ball going side to side, you know, inside, outside. Uh, it was it was real. It, it it definitely felt like a different brand of Celtic basketball, at least from an offensive perspective of of the way it was moving. And of course, you're probably a little concerned about. I mean, actually, it's the preseason. You're not concerned about the turnovers. You won by forty points, but you know, it, it's something that that obviously troubled us in the postseason. And it, you know, once we get to the regular well, well. season. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just say just something to keep an eye on. But of course, with that ball movement, you know, it makes me think of what everybody likes playing that warrior style of basketball, right? Because the ball moves. Well, they also lead the league in turnovers for the last decade, basically, with that with that style of play. So sometimes that does kind of come with the territory. And, you know, as they're maybe getting used to, just like we saw last year, took a while to get used to the defensive scheme they were switching to. Maybe if they're playing a little bit more up tempo, a little bit more, you know, ball movement, keep keeping it in that, you know, Spurs kind of mind mindset you know keep that ball moving maybe that's just something that we'll see that is, is part of the growth of this team but you know right now certainly not concerning but very encouraging seeing the way the ball did move. yeah Adam, what, what were you say, saying on tatum though on the on his like on his dribble i was just saying i said he was moving a bit too his head was moving a bit too fast for his body like, he saw him kind of, like, dribble. Looks like he's about to make the pass, but he's kind of, like, let it hang dribble there a little bit while he's making his decision when where the ball's going. And then he's just getting pilfered or guys are closing in on him and that next dribble's just a little bit more off balance or out of control. And I think that was just adjusting to the pace of the game. I think that playing at that speed, you know, you, you have to think quicker. You have to recognize passing lanes that one step faster because everyone else is moving so quick around you. It's like NASCAR basketball, right? You have 0.2 seconds to make that turn. And I said not purposely. Then. <laughs> um, otherwise, you're going to crash. So, mm -hmm. and people are crashing into you. Like, I'm not worried about that. It's, it's a preseason game. I, and it was only five turnovers for Tatum. Like, it's not, it's not like he finished with a double-double of points and turnovers. Do you know what I mean? I'm not too worried. One thing I do want to point out was there were some noticeable differences in, in sets that we saw run. Like there was no ram, like ram screen was, and I've wrote about this and spoke about this extensively at this point. That was like one of Udoka's like, like go to sets, right? Mm -hmm. Almost every more Spain, player. more Spain today, right? A bit more Spain. They ran this like loop screen to screener action on the wing where like uh, yeah, the get double a, staggered, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, and then like what had happened is you'd set the one screen and the guy would loop over you and then screen for that screener and kind of like like hostage screen two guys right you when you're mm -hmm. literally holding two dudes hostage and then the ball can come in you've got an open free on the wing we saw that they had some nice flare actions as well that we didn't see last year uh they had a couple of cutting actions that were different but it was it was a different pace it was a different brand of basketball less less wide 
they still ran wide, but they ran more drag than they did wide, which is a huge difference as well because that you run drag screens when you want to play at pace. You run wide when you want to set up in the half court a little bit more. It's still quick, but not as quick. Um, so that, to me, tells me that the pace we saw, Missoula's kind of maybe committing to that, or it's something that he wants it to be one of his principles that he wants to implement. And the changes that they made offensively, a lot of 21, a lot of Spain, uh, they even ran cross actions, which is where you're setting a screen away from the basket, but still in the paint to get somebody cutting over. Like we we rarely saw any paint screening actions with um with MA. We saw some we saw some flare where you're setting a screen towards the you're along the baseline, you're setting it towards the corner three for guys to baseline cut. We saw them, but we didn't see many cross actions. And for a team that was running double big, I thought we would have saw more of that. And then obviously, I think that's a major talking point, right? No double big. And it gave you so much more in terms of fluidity, in terms of ball handling. This goes back to the starting lineup we spoke about. Scoring, it just gave you so much more fluidity across the board. And it's not like we can say double big didn't work. He went to the NBA finals with it. But I don't know, man. I just feel like we're going to see a completely different brand of Celtics basketball. And it just feels like somebody's got John Mazzula in a lab and in part got the best of Brad, the best of Ime, and just put it into the... <laughs> and I'm saying this after one preseason game, but that's how it felt watching that game, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think with that, one of the things that it leaves me wondering when you're talking about, you know, not seeing the double big part of that. I wonder if it's just a kind of a necessity with Luke Cornett also being out. So I wonder if we'll see it more when Luke's healthier and then we get Blake Griffin added to the mix. Right. So Blake didn't play in this game, still finalizing, I guess, a few things on, on that side with the, on the contract side of things, but it does make me think, and I'm curious to get your guys' perspective watching the game. Like before we, we hadn't seen a game with Joe Missoula as the head coach. We've only seen one so far but where do y'all see maybe where does Blake Griffin come into this equation uh you know or where do you envision based off what you saw today you think that he might be slotted in by Missoula um I'll, I'll come back to that in a second I just want to jump in on on Adam's conversation with the with the sets for a little bit um you know when we talk about the the best parts of Joe Missoula as a coach taking a little bit of email a little bit of Brad you know with year one for Ime, so much of what he was trying to do was establish an identity with the squad, right? He wanted them to be tough. He wanted to be defense first and defensive minded. So the offense honestly took a backseat to what they were trying to establish with the defense. And so much of the defensive identity was predicated on that double big lineup, moving Rob to that Rover spot on the baseline, so on and so forth. All the stuff that we Celtics fans know about that defense. But they didn't really focus on the offense other than Ime wanting them to to play that not point two uh, style Spurs Zero style basketball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever, whatever Actually, that uh, point offensive five, principle point is. Five, point five, yeah. Point five. No, point five. No, point five. <laughs> yeah, make quick decisions, right? And it seems like once you have the identity and they played at such a high level defensively last year, it seems like they were already used to that, right? They were they were flying around from possession number one today on defense. So maybe the focus is just going to be on the offense and just figuring out how we can unlock the talent that is on this roster because the roster is so ridiculously talented on the offensive end with the Jays, with Brogdon, with Smart, um, you know, Al Horford being as versatile as he is. And that brings me to Blake Griffin, right? With Blake Griffin on the court, you know, he's – six, eight, 
six, eight and a half. He's not like the biggest guy in the world. Doesn't get up vertically anymore, but he's a great passer. He's always been a great passer. So within uh, an offense, like we saw today, Blake is going to be able to hit those back cuts. He's going to be a very intuitive screener. Um, he's, he's not a lob threat anymore, but he can still roll hard to the basket and maybe not be quite the, the spacer that he used to be vertically, but he can still roll hard because he, that was his main skill set for the first you know 10 years of his career was just being someone that just like barrels to the rim. But I think in, in an offense that's predicated upon movement and quick decisions, I think Blake Griffin can thrive. If you think about what the Nets were the last couple of years, that was a very isolation heavy offense with two of the best isolation guys in the entire league. So it honestly wasn't a great spot for Blake Griffin to be to showcase what he has on the offensive end. So what we saw today, it actually could be pretty interesting just to see Blake thriving in you know a, a very high IQ offense. I'm just going to say this. I think that I said a joke on the last episode where it was, uh, Blake Griffin should be the cover boy for J.E. Skeet's podcast, No Dunks. <laughs> and now as you've been speaking, I've been listening, but I also came up with the idea that TLC should write an intro for Blake Griffin. No, I don't want no dunks. Dunks is a skill that don't get no love from me. And we can uh, we can just run with that for a while. Maybe no more no more chasing verticals. No more chasing verticals. <laughs> that was a good no one. Actually, more I, chasing I have a Blake Griffin question that I've been thinking about. Um, I'm trying to think. So I think it was Jay Kyle Man put something similar to this out there because it's going to look a little weird, right? When Blake Griffin, we first see him in a Celtic uniform, it's just not something, but it's not going to look right the, the very first time you see it. And so you think about a lot of all-star players that end up on these kind of random teams like Shaq on the Celtics, AI on the Grizzlies. Do you guys have a favorite? I don't know the, the way to describe this, but it, your favorite doesn't make sense. All-star that you guys think of for that. That's in the wrong guys that are in the wrong uniform. Do you guys have a favorite? <laughs> that's a tough question to throw. Yeah. Well, 30 means... minutes into a pod <laughs> with no prep. <laughs> I mean, think about it. It happens all the time though. Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess I've been thinking about it to so maybe. So basically what happened was I saw J Kyle man tweeted a picture after the signing of Tim Hardaway, who just got into the hall of fame point guard, Tim Hardaway, Tim Hardaway senior on the Indiana Pacers. And I have, absolutely zero recollection of Tim Hardaway playing on the Pacers, but he did for 10 games. It was the last team I looked, I had to look it up. It's the last team you ever played on for, for 10 games. So it just made me start thinking about like, man, that, that might be kind of like one of those like Dominique Wilkins signed with the Celtics at the end of his career. Like I said, Shaq Rashid Wallace is a little bit like that. I, I'll answer first. Cause hopefully you guys have been thinking about maybe an answer as I've, as I've been talking, maybe not. I was like, for me, Akeem Olajuwon on the Raptors is my all time favorite. Because that just doesn't make yeah. any, that doesn't even compute in my brain. As this is a Celtics pod, um, maybe Rondo on the Mavs. Well, Rondo's bounced around quite a bit after the Celtics, but yes, I, but still, that that one's the one you forget about sometimes, probably. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, let me think if there's any others out there. No, Will, like, what? What a crazy question to ask thirty minutes into the pod. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I, thought, but, I, thought, uh, I think it's a pretty normal question. <laughs> I got nothing for you, Adam. Take it over. I don't. I don't know where to go now. I, I thought this was going to generate some conversation. I was way off. Chris Humphreys on the Celtics. Um, oh, that's a good one. That's a good. Look, but he's not an all star. No, I just hate to go. Um, <laughs> I don't hate him. Really. Another Kardashian I mean, connection. Pierce on the Lakers is one. I feel, not the Lakers, the Clippers. Sorry, Pierce yeah, on the Clippers. That that was weird. 
I always find it weird seeing Carter with the Hawks. Yep. Um, mm. I'm just trying to go back before that. Chris Webber on the Pistons. T-Mac on the Spurs. Tim Duncan not in a basketball uniform. Ooh, Tony Parker on the Hornets. That was weird. Yeah. <laughs> that, I'm just, I think that's going to be a little bit of what, you know, Blake Griffin is going to look a little weird. And then it's going to be interesting to think about maybe what that looks like five, six years from now. It's like, oh, yeah, Blake Griffin on the Celtics. That was a weird. Do you know time. what? I completely forgot the Hornets had Dennis Smith Jr. until they were playing. And I was like, oh, they picked him up the other week. That was a good pickup. Yeah, I, I like that. guaranteed deal. That was pretty. I don't know how we got here, but I'm glad we're here. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, God, it's gone. The whole podcast is no dive. Uh, it's my fault for coming up with lyrics to songs for Blake Griffin. Well, I figured you opened the door ah, so, for us to go off the rails. So I yeah, that, for I sure, dude. Let's go off the rails, man. I'm not even editing this. This is pure gold. <laughs> uh, when you said you, the question you asked was getting us back on track was what do you envision the role for Blake Griffin to be? And I think if you look at the minutes that Vonley played, the minutes that Cavangelo played, that's around about 22, 23 minutes combined. I think we see Griffin absorb 10 to 15 of those in the regular season. They're going to ask him to play. I think Missoula's going to want more of a five-out system than what we saw with Udoka, judging by what we saw of him in 2021 Summer League. Pretty large amounts of five-out in, yes, in yesterday's game by the time everybody's listening. You're going to want Griffin in that delay spot because of the passing ability, but you're also going to want to put him in the corner sometimes around that slot area because he can shoot the three, right? I mean, he had a down year last year with Brooklyn. He, he, he was in the 20s for his three-point percentage. But after, he, he was one of the first players to really realize that, hey, I can't bounce no more. I'm going to need to start shooting threes. And when he was in Detroit, he put a lot of work into his passing and his three-point shooting. So I'd expect to see him kind of running that role, just like a delay bit, right? Because then, and one thing that Missoula had these guys doing a bit was running VS. So you set a ball screen for somebody, then you flow in to set a pin down. I think Griffin as a high IQ screener, coming out of that delay into some VS sets would work quite well. So I think there's definitely a role for Griffin. I just hope that he understands that once Robert Williams is back, that role is far less prominent than what it's going to be until he gets back. And when you look at the way that they played, right, I know we were kind of clamoring for Carmelo to to be the, the veteran signing, but when you see how Missoula seemingly wants the Celtics to, to play, like Melo doesn't really fit what we just saw on the court tonight, right? Melo definitely is a little bit more ISO heavy, um, kind of like, you know, we talk about Tatum, how Tatum needs like the game to be played at his pace a little bit for him to be 100% comfortable on the court. I think Melo definitely falls into that category as well. And Griffin makes more sense, um, you know, in that delay spot that Al Horford's often in, uh, that Rob Williams can be in. He's just a good passer. So, yeah, to answer Will's question, to put a kind of a bow on it, I think Griffin does actually make sense with what we saw through one game. Um, I would imagine that we're only going to see continued improvements. And the game was just a lot more fun for everybody. And one thing that we saw at the end of last year was that guys are playing heavy minutes. If they play with this pace and this togetherness throughout the year, there are going to be plenty of games for the Celtics win by 20 plus points, 30 plus points. And those minutes can stay down because of the willingness to buy into the system. I just want to jump on this one thing you just said, and then I'll let Will have something to say because I feel like we've kind of kept Will quiet for a few minutes and that's not fair. Well, he, he's in timeout. He have to, have to take this off. The <laughs> After my very disappointing <laughs> interlude, which I thought was going to be fun. Uh, I've, 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 I mean, it was fun part of this conversation. It was just like, <laughs> man, 
Um, the one thing you said was like Tatum needs to play at his pace to be at his absolute best. I think forcing him to play faster, the way this team played today, that's if that's what we see from them consistently, that's only going to push Tatum out of his comfort zone and force him to be better as an off-ball guy because he's going to have to kind of embrace that off-ball movement to get into his spots a bit quicker, be able to get the, get back onto the ball. Not Steph Curry level off-ball. I mean, Steph Curry is mm-hmm. just... The dude just doesn't stop moving. That would be such a... Could you imagine having to try and defend Steph? I'd be gassed. One with possession. Coach, with Tatum, though, I so I think for I think what I said was to, for him to be at his most comfortable. I agree with you that for him to reach like another level of off of offense, he definitely needs to play faster. I, I agree with that. Yeah, and off ball more because it, once he gets that ball out of his hands, you don't want him just finding a spot and standing there, right? If you're playing at this pace, getting a screen and coming off a screen... And then L cutting back onto the perimeter and weaving in and out four different people. And then all of a sudden you're catching a lob halfway across the, the court. And I don't know, you know. And he started, crazy. he started, he started to do that in the finals. Remember, there were a couple games yeah. where, you know, he, he started relocating in a very Steph Curry type way out to the corner um, after setting a screen or um, after making a cut, not stopping after you cut, finishing your cutout and running out to the corner. I thought Tatum definitely showed more of a willingness to do that last year and year two in a system that encourages not 0.5 uh, decision-making, I think. <laughs> I think he'll get there. You can't just say 0.5. You know that, right? <laughs> what, what do you say? Just 0.5. Oh, yeah. I, I say not 0.5. But... Okay, I can just say 0.5. No, yeah, the, the official way to say it on this show is not. Point. Yeah, it's, it's just not so we're aware. The last time Greg was on this podcast with me, I I, I used the word Q instead of lying, and Greg <laughs> stopped me I, mid mid podcast and said, "You can use your English like dialect, <laughs> like it's okay to do that." And now I feel like he's ridiculing me. So uh, is it okay? Or is it not okay? Mitch, Mitch, no, it's okay. Greg's gaslighting you right now. Is it's okay. What's happening live on the podcast? <laughs> I just, I just love that I literally had no idea what that term was, and I'm trying, I'm trying to um, use a Britishism, so I'm trying to use it. A Britishism, that's the word you used. Americanize is what I say. British, Britishism, British. What did, what did you say? Britishism. Britishism. It's kind of hard to say. British. Britishism. I can't do it. It makes me, uh, makes me Britishism. I know. Okay, we're gonna move on. Uh, any final thoughts? <laughs> Not much, man. You know, I've. I'm ashamed at this point after 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 what happened after my question. So <laughs> we saw some JD, but we had some we had some garbage minutes, which to be honest, I need to go back and watch properly. So we saw some JD Davison. He played well. He played well. We yeah, saw some played, Roger played Thomas. Course. Um, I think Davison. He was he was actually pretty impressive the way that he. Came, I mean, his first play he came in. He th- he ran pick and roll, threw a nice lob, had a couple of nice finishes at the rim. Um, he, he's. He's str- he's small and undersized, but he plays with a lot of force, which I think is going to endear him to the Celtics brass, especially to Scal. Um, you know, commentating on the games, whenever Davison gets in, I think Scal's really going to like him just because he he kind of knows who he is and just like mm-hmm. is playing to his strengths right now through through one game anyway. Um, and I, I'm excited to see that kid play a little bit because yeah, I think him and cool. Kevin Gelly down in uh down in Maine will be a fun combo for for people that are in that area to go ahead and watch like. That those are going to be two guys that maybe not this year, but very much in the Sam Hauser mold, where you know they're going to work on their game a ton in Maine, and then maybe next preseason we're kind of looking at them as, oh, is, is JD ready for some some backup point guard minutes, or is Kevin Gelly ready to be the actual third big that we've been looking for, you know, all off season? I think that see, I don't know. 
I don't want him to be thrown in so early and have expectations on his shoulders so early. Are you talking about so... Kevin Gelly? Are you talking yeah, about David? I'm yeah. talking about Kevin. Like JD Davidson's not getting a rotation. Yeah, he's him. not. He's not ready. He's good and he's gonna be like, you know, this up tempo ball's gonna play right into his strengths. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's ready for NBA rotation yeah. basketball. Here's probably the last thing that we can we can touch on before before we wrap up because Kevin Gelly versus Vonley. That was really kind of one of the internal battles that 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 you're thinking of. What what were you, what were your thoughts on that, Adam? Like, I think he had I think he had some good moments, like uh but he was outplayed by Capangelli. I think that's as easy as you can put it, right? Like and I do think that Vanley looked a little bit more susceptible defensively than Capangelli did. I think that you know he I mean Vanley hit that free, right? He hit that one mm-hmm. that one nice free. So did Capangelli actually. Capangelli, yeah. I mean if down... you look at if you look at the box score, Vanley 13 minutes, nine rebounds, seven points. Um the so rebounds yeah, is big for me. Score. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I weren't big on Vanley getting a spot before, but I don't know. I want to say, like, Cabin Jelly is on a two way. This is my biggest thing. Yeah. Or Cabin Jelly is on a two way. This is my biggest thing, right? So when you like who who outperformed, I'm like, well, Vanley is going to cost you actual money plus tax it. Mm-hmm. Cabin Jelly's already, he's not, he's not costing you no more if you don't yeah. convert him. I think that. I think Vanley deserves a spot, but I think well, Blake I don't. Griffin... I, don't I, I don't think Kevin Gelly getting converted is really even on the table because he can no, still play for the beginning play. of the season. I think it's just well, there's a set amount of games I think he's eligible to play or be on. I think the it's usually about sixty. I think, but then you've got yeah, like so you got plenty. Blake Griffin as well coming in. I think that kind of killed any opportunity for another big to mm-hmm. get an opportunity like to come in because well Blake Griffin filled that roster spot because I don't think they're coming they're not going to fill up that 15 they'll probably go into the season with one open right yeah so there's one open roster spot right now if you had another big like the way I was looking at it earlier was like right so you're going to have Al Horford Robert Williams uh you can say uh okay we'll put we can't put Capangeli in there that's disingenuous so Blake Griffin Al Horford Robert Williams you can put Grant there so that's four right you're almost at, like if you added Vanley as well that's 33 percent of your roster well, you forgot Luke too. Luke Cornett's gonna Luke be Cornett. There we go. So already you're at thirty three percent, right? You could be bordering on like thirty seven percent of your roster of centers if you bring in Vanley as well. And I just think that that that's too much. You need a, you want to probably bring in another wing that can pl- move up and down a little bit in terms of position, right? You might want him to play two, three, maybe you if you go small, you want him at the four, which is why I think it's more between Justin Jackson and Jake Lehman than it is between Cabin Jelly and Vanley. Because I think there's already enough bigs on the roster. Blake Griffin kind of put that nail in the coffin. That's interesting. So when you, when you talk about the the bigs, you think about the the types of guys that we have, right? We have the Horford type, and then I would say that Blake Griffin is probably a facsimile of what Al Horford offers, right, on the offensive end. And then Rob is is seemingly like the unicorn on the roster. But if you look at Vonley versus Cavangeli, Vonley is more of an Al Horford type. Cavangeli more of a Rob Williams type. And with Rob being down there is a need for someone who's explosive vertically and just on both ends of the court. So if, if we're just looking at those two, I would say Kevin Gelly, I know he's, he's a two man, a two way guy right now. So he, he'll be there. Um, but I don't, I don't think Von Lee ends up making the team, but that's interesting. You bring up those, those last two names, Layman versus um, Justin Jackson. Right. I think that watching those two guys on the court, Layman seems to be a little bit more versatile of a player. Jackson, more of a specialist with a three-point shot. But they're both big, man. They're both 6'8". Yeah. Layman seems has a little bit more thickness to his frame. But 
um, the the numbers actually said say differently. Jackson was, I think, listed at 230, Layman at 220. So who knows? But I think one of those guys for sure, the the depth on this uh, preseason roster is crazy. So I think that Jake Layman is probably your more complete player of the two. He can do a bit more. He's better off ball. He's better screener, better movement. Justin Jackson has that. Jake Layman's got the highest floor. Justin Jackson's got a higher ceiling. But when you're when you're like the 14th guy on the rotation, you don't really want ceiling because you're not going to get the minutes to reach. I was going to say, re- regardless of which one of these players we're talking about, it's a very low ceiling, depending so, on so how we're, how we're defining floor, right? ceiling. Which of these yeah. two guys gives you the higher floor? And like because that's where they're going to be playing at the floor. Yeah, they're not going to get the minutes to elevate. So that's why I think Jake Lehman probably wins out there. But he's just not as good a shooter. But Again, he's more of a, a movement guy. And if you're playing at pace, you want guys that know how to cut and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I would think Jake Lehman gets that spot. Now, look, man, Von Le was good. And I think Von Le might earn himself a look from another team if he plays like this for the rest of preseason. But Blake Griffin, in my opinion, just killed that that route or route, as you guys would say, into the, <laughs> uh, into the roster. Can we can we have a, a new segment on the show when we have the three-man weave where it's Adam teaches Will and Greg Britishisms? Yeah, we can do that. Me and Brendan used to do English slam work of the day. <laughs> so uh we can do that. We can I don't know what Britishisms are, like root and route. Something like uh, that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah like what do you call the elevator? You call it like a lift or something? Yeah, the lift. Yeah. Yeah, the, like the, that, the boot, the boot for the trunk of the car. It's called the boot, right? Yeah, it's the boot. Yeah. Yeah, we'll come up. We'll come up with something like this. We'll 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 workshop this off air because this is not going to be a great segment if we keep going this round off, off the coast. It, it, it's just as good as your segment 15 minutes ago. <laughs> this is I'm, o- I'm over two on this podcast. <laughs> we're gonna. I'm, I'm, leave not, I'm not. I'm not the Sam Hauser of this podcast. As you can see, we're in perfect preseason form too because we fumbled a few times, and we're gonna leave y'all at that point, guys. Man, I'm glad to be back. I know we've been back, but I'm glad to be back with actual basketball to talk about. It's fun, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. Well, thank you for having me too, because this will air on your feed too. As usual, guys, if you've enjoyed the show, make sure to hit that follow button, leave a review. I'm going to start doing this at the front of the show because all successful podcasts do, and I just seem to forget, so I need to get better at that. If you're listening on the Celtics blog feed, thank you. If you're listening on the Green with Envy feed, Greg and Will, thank you. Thank you. And that's about it because we fumbled the board a few times here. So I'm just going to let you Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, bye. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the majors. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.